This is The Guardian. Today, why Labor junked its big green transformation and why it might come back to bite them. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been rumoured for months. It was splashed in The Guardian on Wednesday. And on Thursday evening, Keir Starmer finally confirmed his party's centrepiece environmental policy, an ambitious plan to spend £28 billion a year in the next parliament to turn the UK's economy green, future-proof it. It was getting slashed. What we're announcing today is that we won't be making further investments um, and therefore we won't reach the £28 billion, which is effectively stood down. Starmer says, in power, he'd end the economic chaos of the past few years, and the UK just can't afford to spend that kind of money. Well, the £28 billion was announced when interest rates were very low. Now they're very high because of the damage that's been done to the economy. That means even the interest um, on the debt is measured in tens of billions of pounds. Well, it's not unexpected because there's been question marks over this policy for a long time. But it is still extraordinary for a political party that is riding high in the polls, then turns around and ditches uh, one of its most distinctive flagship policies that is really the key to its economic offer for the future, as well as the only remedy available for the appalling state of climate breakdown that we find ourselves in. It's a backdown that's about making Labour's manifesto bulletproof making sure it beats the Tories so it can change the country. But if all its most ambitious policies get stripped away, does it leave voters wondering, what's left? From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, Keir Starmer's big green U-turn. Kieran Stacey, you're a Guardian political correspondent and you've been covering the twists and turns of Labor's Green Investment Pledge. First of all, take us back to 2021 when this policy was first announced. What shape were Labor in at the time? At that point, Keir Starmer was relatively new into his job. He was still defining himself both in front of the party and in front of the country as a whole. And the pressure that Keir Starmer was under at the time was not from the right, not from the conservatives, but much more from the left of his party and from protesters especially who wanted to see him sign up to some version of the Green New Deal. And this was Labour's big answer to that. And in fact, Rachel Reeves, when she first announced it, said she was going to be the first Green Chancellor the UK's ever had. I will be a responsible Chancellor. I will be Britain's first Green Chancellor. And she added that if a Labour government didn't 
pledged to spend £28 billion a year on green investment, then the cost to the country would be far greater in the long term because of the effects of climate change. So this was seen as a real coup for the party at the time. It kept the green wing on side. It seemed like an economic strategy where they hadn't really had one before. And for a couple of years at least, it, it did last. It did stand the test of time. And unfortunately, for supporters of it, then started to fall apart in the last 12 months or so. So why was that figure set at £28 billion a year? And what was all that money going to be spent on? The actual reason is £28 billion was a calculation done by external experts on how much government funding it would need to leverage in enough private sector funding to get to the target of net zero by 2050. But of course, you know, why not 27? Why not 29? It, it doesn't necessarily have to be 28. And the big point is they didn't actually know what they were going to spend the money on. It wasn't like they'd done a calculation of all the schemes they wanted to roll out, and this was the total of all of them. They set the number before they decided what was going to be in it. And this put them in a terrible position. So they did actually commit some of the money. They said £6 billion a year would go on home insulation. They said that they would put some money into a new Great British Energy Company. They said that they would set up a new sovereign wealth fund to invest in green schemes. All of these cost a few billion. They probably got to around £10 billion a year of the 28 actually committed. They then clarified that they would also incorporate the money that the government is already spending on green plants. So they say that's another 8 billion a year. So let's be generous. Let's say that they'd actually committed around 18 billion of this. That still left this massive 10 billion pound gap, money they promised to spend, but they couldn't really defend because they weren't saying how they were going to spend it. And so then what happens in the months and in the years after this policy is rolled out? For quite a while, it's regarded as a real triumph of a policy. It's an answer to the climate crisis. It's an answer to the charge that Labour didn't have any economic policies. The problem really starts, I think, when UK borrowing costs start to spike. And obviously, this has a lot to do with that brief 45-day period when this trust comes to power. The Tories went on a borrowing spree, sending mortgage rates through the roof. They are skyrocketing by £500 a month. And for nearly 2 million homeowners, their fixed rate deals are coming to an end next year. They're worried sick, and everybody in this house knows it. The aftermath of that is that because Liz Truss essentially crashed the economy, the government had a lot less money to be able to spend. And Labour has always said that it is signed up to these quite strict fiscal rules, which mean that they need to have debt falling as a percentage of GDP at the end of a five-year period. Well, suddenly the amount of space they had to borrow while still hitting that second rule disappeared almost overnight. So they either stick to the fiscal rule or they stick to their green plan. And to a certain extent, Rachel Reeves gave the answer to that last summer when she wrote a piece for The Times when she said the fiscal rules come first. That really was the beginning of the end for the Green Prosperity Plan. The problem was they kept talking about £28 billion, And even this week, Keir Starmer himself has been talking about the £28 billion figure. And Karen, you've talked about that tension between this policy and the party's fiscal rules. What does that tension look like inside the Labour Party, around the shadow cabinet table? The chief champion of the Green Prosperity Plan has, of course, been Ed Miliband. Ed Miliband is the shadow energy secretary, but he is also the former Labour leader. He has pushed for this really for a very long time. It is absolutely affordable. And you know, the unaffordable choice is not to invest. 
Because if we don't invest in tackling the climate crisis, we will store up massive costs for the future, for future generations, as they have to cope with the appalling consequences of climate change. And, if- and even just a few months ago, Labour sources were talking about Ed's plan as being their most thoroughly thought through, most serious economic strategy. So you've got Ed on one side. You also have, interestingly, Sue Gray, who has come in in recent months as Keir Starmer's conciliary, his chief of staff. From what I'm told, labor sources tell me she has told Starmer that if you're going to ditch this, you might have a problem when you get into government. You need to go into government saying something concrete, because if you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to get completely squashed by civil servants who have their own ideas. On the other side of the debate, you have people much more concentrating on the campaign. So Morgan McSweeney is Keir Starmer's head of campaigns, and Pat McFadden is another head of elections within the front bench team. Those two people have been among the chief critics of this policy. They warned that the Conservatives are going to say that Labour has a secret plan to increase taxes to pay for it, which the Tories, sure enough, were doing. And then, of course, you have Rachel Reeves and Keir Starmer. Now, Reeves having promised to be the UK's first ever Green Chancellor and having announced this with great fanfare in 2021, I think was initially loath to junk the policy, but then in the last few months has come around to the idea that it really does need to be. And it's very, very telling that in an interview quite recently, she was asked 10 times to use the 28 billion figure, whether she would sign up to it, and she refused to do so 10 times. Okay, I hope that in this interview, you might be straight with me on this and just say, look, the funding commitment at that level is on the way out. Can you just make it clear that it's on the way out? I'm not asking you for an update on what the figure might be, but that you're going to have to row back from what you said in June 2023. Well, all of our policies have to be subject to the very tough fiscal rules that I've set out. I think people can see that the economic environment, the fiscal environment has changed hugely, even just in the last uh, few months, and we'll have to cut our cloth accordingly. On the other hand, you have Starmer, who was using the figure, as I mentioned earlier, almost every chance he got. So there was clearly a difference of opinion between those two people about how exactly they should frame this policy, even if they were coming to an agreement on what it should actually be. From what I'm told over the last few days, that's what's been thrashed out. They have decided how much they really are going to spend and what they're going to spend it on. And they're hoping that once they've spelt that out, they can start defending what they're planning to spend on rather than an arbitrary and imaginary number that probably was never going to be reached anyway. And Kieran, as doubts are emerging about this policy, as people like you are writing that it's starting to appear shaky, are you getting any pushback from people inside Labour saying, no, no, we're sticking to this? Do you know, Mike, this has been one of the strangest stories I've ever reported on. It is very rare that you write a story and you get almost no feedback from the people involved afterwards. So we have been writing stories for a few weeks now in The Guardian saying this policy is essentially dead. The decision has been made. It's just about how to announce it. Nobody was pushing back on that. I didn't get a single call. And yet, Keir Starmer himself then went to do an interview where he insisted we remain committed to the 28 billion. It is an unusual communication strategy, to say the least. So then all of this tension, all of these rumours culminate on, on Wednesday night. What do you start to hear? Around 5.30, 6 o'clock on Wednesday, I got a text from a very senior Labour source saying the decision's been made and it's getting announced tomorrow. And I said, what's the decision? And I got back four words in a text. It was scaled back fiscal rules. And that told me everything I needed to know. Once I heard it from one person, I 
started talking to other sources who confirmed that that was indeed the plan. I think that the people around Keir Starmer were not really prepared for this to break out in this way. What they wanted to do was a much more controlled briefing. But we at The Guardian talked to a lot of people. And uh, once we would got wind of it, there was no way they were going to be able to keep wraps on it. So I'll give you a, a slight glimpse into the chaos surrounding this announcement. I spoke to a shadow front bencher on Wednesday night who was just about to go on the radio and talk about this. And I said, what's the line that you've been told to take? And he said, the line is that we're sticking to the plan, the 28 billion. And I had to say to this person, I think you might want to water that down a bit. I hear Kirstam is going to change that line tomorrow. Uh, This person had no idea that that was about to come. In fact, even just a few hours before Keir Starmer was due to announce this formally, I was speaking to shadow front benches who still didn't know exactly what was going to be announced, still didn't know the details. From what I was told, journalists were going to get briefed before the shadow cabinet. I think that's just a sign of how fast moving this whole policy shift has been. And some people weren't able to be kept in the loop in the way that they might like to have been. Fiona Harvey, you're The Guardian's environment editor. And on Thursday evening, Keir Starmer confirmed what The Guardian reported on Wednesday night and what has felt inevitable for months now. He scrapped his £28 billion green energy transition. The point of this policy was to drive an economic transformation that's unprecedented, but also absolutely vital. What is that? Well, we need to become a low-carbon economy. And we've started along that road, and we've done very well. We're doing well in terms of offshore wind energy, for instance, which is leading uh, on renewables. We're doing well in terms of uh, getting this this take-up of of electric vehicles that we need. But we're doing really badly on some other things. For instance, our homes are leaking heat all the time. uh, And there are other sources of emissions that we haven't really started to deal with, like greenhouse gas emissions from farming and food production. So there's an awful lot more still to do. But when you do green the economy, you get all kinds of benefits. You know, you you create green jobs, uh, you get these new industries, they take over from the old industries like uh, drilling for oil. We're seeing this all around the world. And what's really frustrating is that the UK was leading for a long time on this. And the UK took a leading role internationally, politically, in urging other countries to do something about the climate crisis. How far off are we at this point on the numbers from that net zero target by 2050 that we have to hit that's a legally binding target? No, we have met those budgets to date. But the prospects of meeting them in the future are looking dimmer by the day, in fact. And it's really, it's going to take a massive effort to put us back on track. If we want to cut emissions in the future, we need to make an awful lot more effort. That's not going to happen automatically. And we need government intervention in order to do that. And you know what? People across the political spectrum agree that we need government intervention. I interviewed David Cameron Uh, a while ago, before he came back to politics as foreign secretary. And he was saying the government needs to do muscular intervention in the green economy. Well, we're not hearing that from his party now. 
What strikes me, Fiona, is the way that this transition is often talked about is in terms of cost, in terms of how much it's going to cost taxpayers. But when you talk about it, it doesn't sound like a cost. It sounds like, in many ways, an opportunity. It's an investment. And, you know, as many leading economists have been saying to me in the last few weeks, if you want to grow an economy, you have to invest. There's no other choice. And so if you want a low-carbon economy, uh, you've got to invest in that. And public investment is really important in leading the way. We see that everywhere. Because once you've put in some public money, then the private sector money comes in. There's a, a, a study from the London School of Economics uh, a few weeks ago that found that if you invested about £26 billion a year uh, in the UK's green economy, then you'd get back about twice that in terms of private sector investment, which would follow that public sector investment. That's always the, the pattern of economic investment. And so if Labour, as the likely next government, is not committing to public investment on that kind of scale, where will all that private investment go instead? Everywhere else. There are plenty of places around the world that are crying out to try and attract this green investment. Look at the United States. They've got the Inflation Reduction Act. They're putting hundreds of billions into their green economy, getting companies to go and set up shop there, everything from renewable energy to electric vehicles. Look at Europe. Just this week, we've had uh, news coming from the European Commission. They're going to set higher targets for reducing greenhouse gases. This is going to spur greater investment. And then look further afield. Look at somewhere like China, uh, where you've got a, a massive growth in renewable energy and massive investment there. So if you're a, a capitalist, you've got your capital. Where do you want to put it? You can put it anywhere around the world. That's the nature of the globalised economy that we have. Why on earth would you look twice at the UK? Given the sum of money we're talking about here, is this going to be felt just in environment policy or is the impact going to be felt much more widely? The thing about the $28 billion investment is that it's the cornerstone of a lot of other policy. Um, so everyone agrees that we need to revive the UK's economy. It's taken so many blows. Well, how do you revive the economy while solving the cost of living crisis, easing the terrible pain that so many people in this country are experiencing, and at the same time, reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that we know are responsible for raising temperatures to record levels around the world in a way that is impacting the UK economy. We are suffering the impacts of the climate crisis already, and that's only going to get worse. And I tell you what, the climate crisis is incredibly expensive because floods are very expensive to clear up after, and droughts similarly. So not spending $28 billion now could mean you end up spending vastly more over the next decades mitigating the effects of climate change. We have known for 20 years almost since Lord Nicholas Stern uh, did a review of the economics of climate change in 2005. And he showed very clearly uh, that the costs of inaction were far greater than the costs of acting on climate change. The thing is that we invest all the time in the economy. It's where you direct that investment that counts. If you invest in a fossil fuel economy, then you get 
higher greenhouse gas emissions and more climate change. If you invest in a low carbon economy, you get the opposite. But you're always investing. So, so the investment that you need to solve the climate crisis is not new money that needs to be magicked up from somewhere. A lot of it is just going to come from diverting the money that currently goes into fossil fuels and fossil fuel-reliant industries. So it's not a kind of additional burden in the way that some people try to present it. It's actually doing what you would do normally, but do it in a different way. Coming up, the announcement and why they're making it now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book, meet up with a friend, maybe a little nap. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Kieran, Keir Starmer issued his announcement on Thursday evening. So what did it look like? What of his £28 billion pledge survived and what didn't? Yeah, not a lot of it survives, to be honest. The pledge has now been essentially cut in half. Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves stood at a table in front of about 30 journalists this afternoon and announced that they were slashing the £28 billion promise. They will now invest just under 15 billion, but 10 billion of that, they say, has already been committed by the government. So new labor spending in the next parliament on green investment will be five billion pounds a year. That's obviously quite a substantial change. I mean, it's an enormous change. What's the reaction been inside the Labour Party, both in the lead up to this announcement and after we finally got it? It's been a really odd period 
in labor, I think everybody has been on their best behavior in general because there's an election coming up and they think they're going to win. But tensions have been simmering on this policy for a long time. And I think that what has infuriated shadow ministers for several weeks now is they've never been sure what they should go and say in public. Now they actually have a number they feel they can defend. However, over the next few weeks, what we're going to be doing, and I'm sure what some of them are going to be doing, is just looking line by line over the new reduced green prosperity plan and looking specifically at does it match up with the party's ambitious targets. So the party, for example, is pledging to have clean power by 2030. Is that achievable with the amount of funding they're now promising? That's going to be where the real crunch of this announcement lies. When you make a cut of that scale, what does it actually look like in policy terms? So what kinds of schemes that may have been enacted have now been chucked in the rubbish bin? To a certain extent, we don't know. One of the strange things about the £28 billion policy was that a lot of it had just not been allocated. This money basically was sitting there as a target for the Tories to attack, but Labour had never said what they would actually spend it on. So all of that has now gone. The other thing that has happened is that ambitious warm homes program, the home insulation scheme, has been really slashed. So that used to be a promise to spend £6 billion a year, that has now changed to just over £6 billion over the course of five years. And Labour are admitting that they're no longer going to be able to hit their target of 19 million homes in a decade. They say it'll now take maybe 14 years. I wouldn't be surprised if that target slips even further, given how much funding has been cut from that programme. And so that's what's gone. What about what's survived? What will Labour still be doing with this money? The two big things are something called GB Energy, which is a national energy company, which the Labour Party has promised to set up with a headquarters in Scotland. That will be funded by around £8 billion of spending to go and invest in energy generation schemes such as offshore wind. And the other one will be a sovereign wealth fund also to provide seed funding for new kinds of clean technology. That'll receive around £7 billion worth of money. So those are the two things that Labour says that it needs to be able to achieve this wider target of having a clean power grid by 2030. They insist they can still do that with those two pledges. So I get the strategy here, the need to prioritise these fiscal rules, but what I don't get are the tactics. There's a rule in politics that goes, never interrupt your opponent when they're making a mistake. Rishi Sunak's made a lot of mistakes this week, hasn't he? Yeah, Rishi Sunak has not had the best of weeks. The first big thing to hit the headlines was his slightly ill-advised bet that he appeared to make with the interviewer Piers Morgan that he would pay £1,000 if the government hadn't got a flight off taking asylum seekers to Rwanda by the time of the next election. I'll bet you £1,000 to a refugee charity. You don't get anybody on those planes before the election. Will you take that bet? Well, I, well, I want to get the people on the planes, I right? Understand. Of course I want to get the people on the planes. thousand pounds. Right? I want to get the people on the planes. Misstep number two, arguably more seriously, in this week's session of Prime Minister's Questions, Rishi Sunak launched one of his regular attacks on Keir Starmer over the issue of trans rights. But he did so when the mother of Brianna Jai, the murdered teenager who was herself trans, was sitting in the chamber at the time. And it really went down very badly. Of all, of all the work, of all the weeks to say that, when Brianna's mother is in this chamber, shame, parading as a man of integrity, 
when he's got absolutely no responsibility. So I suspect that Labour might argue if they were to wait for the point when Rishi Sunak is not making a mistake, they might be waiting quite a long time. But the more realistic answer is February the 8th is an important deadline for the Labour Party. It's the deadline by which all the shadow ministers had to submit their manifesto pledges. We as journalists knew that. We were going to ask them at the end of the day, right, what have you got on paper on your green prosperity plan? Because we know now that you have something there. You have to answer us as to whether it says 28 billion or not. Kieran, finally, if you were to sum up the logic driving this decision briefly for Keir Starmer, his best case why this was a smart thing to do, what would it be? His argument is that his main target has always been getting clean power by 2030, and that to do that, you don't need the scale of spending that they had previously promised. His argument is essentially times have changed since the policy was first announced in 2021, and that as a result of that, he is being forced to make decisions he wouldn't otherwise like to have made. The reality is there's a political angle to this too. The Labour Party is currently going through all of its manifesto pledges, as I said, and doing something which Tony Blair used to refer to as bomb-proofing it, looking for where the Conservatives might attack them. There are some people who think that you can take bomb-proofing too far, and that if you actually remove everything that you can be attacked on, you end up saying nothing. And That, I think, is a big risk here. Fiona, can you understand the political impulse that might be at play here to play it safe in order to win the election and then once you're in government, set about making the investments and the reforms that we know are necessary. Do you get the political logic of that? It's a very timid form of political logic and timidity is something that, well, you know, that's a risk in itself, isn't it? Because if the voters perceive you as timid and risk-averse, as flip-flopping, as liable to change your principles uh, in the face of attack, well, they're not going to have great confidence in you as a leader, are they? Are you saying that basically that Labour is prioritising the wrong things here, that they're more concerned about how they'll be seen on the economy and not that this might leave Keir Starmer open to the criticism that he's someone without vision? The Tory party is going to attack the Labour party, whatever the Labour party does. So at the moment, they're attacking them over this £28 billion target. Tomorrow, they'll be attacking them for being weak, for letting go of the £28 billion target. You know, they'll find something else to attack. That's what politics is. Also, the Tory party desperately has to find ways of distracting voters from their own record. So they want to take the fight onto different grounds, and Labour's allowing them to do that. Fiona, thank you so much. Thank you. And that was Fiona Harvey, The Guardian's environment editor. Thank you also to Kieran Stacey, a political correspondent. Their work is at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Ned Carter-Miles, Lucy Hoff and Natalie Ktena. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producers were Phil Maynard and Homer Khalili. And we'll be back with you on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tax. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 